Welcome back here on the program here on Sports Radio 810 WHB as we are live here at Surprise Arizona. Spring training coverage of your Kansas City Royals continues. We talk now with Royals uh, reliever Will Smith. Will, how are you, sir? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Former? Former Current Royal. Royal. That's right. God, quite a journey, man. It like has. I love your, your career is fantastic. <laughs> I mean, you know, like, listen, would everybody like to be, you know, I don't know, Cy Young, win 500 games and all that? But, my God, you've been so many great places. Three consecutive World Series rings. Mm-hmm. I mean, pretty cool. Do you ever sit back and yeah, do you cool. take a moment to realize just how fun this ride's been? Um, uh, here and there, yeah. Usually in the off season, um, you know, during the season you're so focused on on the end goal and what you're trying to do. So, kind of when you get home at the end of the year and you you can catch your breath, you're like that. That was pretty cool. That's that was the third one in a row. Um, so yeah, it's it's been a wild journey. Yeah, it has been uh, amazing. And I remember when you were traded, the, the team was just getting ready to take off. It was yep. just getting ready to go on a run. You you felt that 2013, you guys knew that your, your this club was good and was going places. You didn't go to a bad team, right? The Milwaukee Brewers were a very good team. But what was it like uh, back then being dealt away from this team when it seemed like it was on the cusp of finally clicking? Um, it was it was easier the second time. The first time I got traded from the Angels to come here. Right. Um, you know, super young guy, kind of thought I was in trouble, didn't, you know, thought I made the Angels mad or something like that. But I forgot who told it to me, but somebody was like, it's not that the Angels didn't want you, it's just Kansas City wanted you that much more. And once I kind of learned that side of it and that perspective, I was like, okay, getting traded is not a bad, not a bad thing. Um, yeah, you could, you could see, you know, we were, we were all moving together, the Hosmer, Mooses, uh, Dyson, Aaron Crow, all those guys. We were moving together, kind of. Um, so you could see the Royals trending in the right direction and then to get traded, you know, it's just, it was a bit, I understood the business side of it at that time, kind of. So, uh, so yeah, I was just like, all right, well, I guess I'll just go to Milwaukee and, and start there. Did you ever feel like, damn, where, where's my ring? Right? Like, <laughs> now, now it's, you've been, pay, you know, it's paid off here in the long run. But was there ever a moment like, oh, come on, like I thought I was bad luck there for a little bit because <laughs> when I I gotten traded, then you know Kansas City goes to two two straight World Series, um, and then when I get traded from Milwaukee the next year, they're one game they're one game away from the World Series. I was like, am I am I the bad luck charm? Like every time I leave, these teams go to the playoffs and they're they're going to the World Series or, or close to the World Series. So for a little bit. I thought I was bad luck. Now, now I'm on a heater. Yeah. <laughs> what was it like to, to have you know to work so hard, put in so many times, be so close in those situations, and then to have it finally come together in Atlanta? It was cool. Um, I always say, you know, just being from Georgia, you know, I grew up watching the Braves with my dad. So, uh, so to be able to be, you know, the closer on your hometown team and. Uh, Kind of get it done when nobody thought we were supposed to get it done. You know, we only won 88 games, but we got into the dance, and anything can happen when you get in there. And we were a super tight, super close team, and we just kind of shut out all the outside noise and just kind of did our thing. So so to be able to be the last guy on the mound for that and, and do it with that group of guys was pretty special. What's it like to try to fit in with a club? That's really good. Like, you come over to the Astros, you get you get traded there. You've been traded before. Now mm-hmm. By now, you don't understand that part. But is there, a, like, a, i got to go around meet everybody real quick, and let's let's try to – you know, you just said how special the chemistry was in Atlanta. Now you're trying to fit into that chemistry. What was that like? Uh, it's a little tough midseason, especially with, with how good those guys are. Um you know, they're, how good they've been for a couple years. It helps knowing at least one familiar face when you come in. And I knew Martin Maldonado. We played together in Milwaukee. So that was my familiar face and kind of got me in the door. And then you just kind of, 
you just, I don't know, you just be yourself. You try to get to know guys as quick as you can. It's harder during the season. You know, spring training is great. You can, you can go golf. You know, you can, you can goof off with your PFP group and, and get to know guys that way, eat breakfast with them. When you come in midseason, it's like, hey, we need to win now. So it's, it's kind of hard to build those relationships like that. But, uh, you know, you just try your best. Throw in some time with the Giants. I mean, you've been with some organizations that are really known for knowing pitching. Yeah. What do you pick up along the way? Is he, are each one different? Do you notice the similarities between them? Or, you know, because we, we, we read, you read from the outside, like, oh, the Giants, they got this figured out. Yeah. And the Astros have this. What was it like? How, how, how different are each organization when it comes to nurturing the pitching? They're all, they're definitely all different in their own way. Um, you know, each pitching coach has their own way. You know, some of them are super analytical. Some of them are super, you know, hey, let's, if you get a guy out, you get a guy out. That's kind of how it was with Mad Dog last year over there in Texas. Um, you know, you don't hear it very often, but you can still throw the ball down away. Like, that's still a safe spot to go. Uh, and most people are like, no, you got to be up in the zone. You got to throw hard. You got to do this. You got to do that. Uh, so, yeah, it's just kind of taking, you know, at a certain point, you kind of know in your career what you're good at, what you can do, and just, you know, you take little nuggets here and there from pitching coaches that you think will help you. Yeah. It's, why Kansas City? You're, you're being credited as, as the guy who really was kind of going out and recruiting this way. What 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 got you here, first of all? Um, I got to know where I was going early and early. So last year I signed super late. I think I signed, like, as games were starting with camp. So I was kind of at home panicking a little bit. I had a pregnant wife, and we were like, where are we going, where are we going, where are we going? <laughs> yeah. I was like, I don't know. Um <laughs> So That's Kansas, fun for her. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and, and she's, you know, at that point, they're they're very patient. Yeah. You know? <laughs> uh, so, uh, so yeah, they they kind of stepped up pretty early. Um, you know, we thought it was a, a fair deal for both sides. Uh, they're giving me a chance at, at the back end of the bullpen again. So everything kind of fit together. Uh, you could also see how good they were the best team in September last year. So you could see it trending. I mean, how good could the Royals be if the season started in September and they take that run? You know, you never know. Right. Um, so you can kind of see it trending in the right direction. And, you know, they stepped up with a, with a fair offer. So we, uh, we jumped on it. How, how important was it or how much of a, uh, you know, maybe a compliment to the to the process was having a, a young superstar like Bobby Witt be here. And it was it known amongst players that, hey, they're working on getting him signed. He's not just here and going to be flipped and traded, but they're, they're going to really try to build around this kid. How much was that a factor for you at all? Um, you know, I mean, you know the good players on every team. When you when you sign, you know you know how good, not just him, how good the whole infield was. Right. Um, working with Salvi before in the past helps. You know, it's kind of nice having a familiar catcher. Um, so, yeah, I was just – I mean, it was just an exciting – Exciting place to come to, I think. Yeah, and you, and you think uh, you know when you get Lugo, Waka, and all the veterans, and a lot of other great pieces in the bullpen. I don't want to leave. I don't want to start naming the bullpen because I'll leave somebody. <laughs> Chris Stratton, Nick Anderson, they signed. Yeah, yeah, Schreiber. <laughs> yeah, trading for Schreiber. Uh, like, what what is that? You know, how exciting is that for you as a player to know? Hey, this, this commitment is not just one or two guys. It's not just me. Yeah, they're they're they're, they're committed to bringing in, uh, trying to improve everywhere they can. Yeah, it's a it's an exciting time for sure. Um, you know, I played with Strat. Me and Strat were giants together, and then we were together last year in Texas. So knowing him personally was cool. Um, I've played against Waka and Lugo for years, Renfro for years. I know how good they are, how dangerous they are. So yeah, you could see. I mean, once once the dominoes started falling, you're like, dang, another guy. That's a really another good guy. And then you look up, and the next morning you sign Lugo. You're like, wow, that's that's another really good guy to have too. And they just kind of kept falling and falling and falling. And you know, you show up at camp, you're like. 
damn, we got a pretty good team here. Like yeah. we can we can surprise some people. You, you mentioned uh, you know the World Series with the Texas Rangers. You don't get that ring to win. You're not going to be at their opening day ceremony, right? So how does that? I believe we go in there like the third week of June or something like that. So you got to wait till June. I believe so. Me, Strat, and Cole Reagans have got to wait till uh, <laughs> wait till June, which is okay. Cole gets one too. Cole gets one too. Oh wow! Yeah. So Cole, Cole. I mean, we hated to see Cole go, but. Uh, you know, I already talked to Cole. I wish I'd have known that. I'd yep. have been like, "What's this?" That's how we got Chappie. That's how we got Araldus. Um, <laughs> oh no, I remember. I, I I remember the trade, but I didn't realize he got a ring. I thought if he got traded away, no, if that's you're there, if out. you if you're there and help them win at least one game, you you get a ring. So, oh my god, yeah, that's, Cole get one is that game. a is that an MLBPA thing? Is that in the is that in the? I don't believe deal so. or teams just like I think games. it's yeah. I think it's just uh, you know because you never know if that one game Cole won us in. May was the different, you know, right. I know we didn't win the West, but we won the whole thing. But, like, that one game, does that is that the reason we're the wild card or not in the playoffs? You know, so you never know. So if you if you at any point are on the 25-man roster and help the team help the team win, then, yeah, you get a ring. What, one more question here before I get you to my final four, and that is Bruce Bochy, one of my favorite managers. Mm-hmm. What is, uh, I mean, steady demeanor, yep. biggest Head, oh yeah, that I've ever seen. What's his hat size? Like a twelve and a half or it's something? A, it's an eight something. It's eight something. <laughs> it's big. But he uh, he seems fantastic. What's yep. he like to play for? He's great. Um, you know, he's very very old school. Like he uh, he stays out of the clubhouse. He lets the players, he lets the veteran players kind of run the clubhouse. Um, it's just all about being a pro with him. If you show up and get your work done every day. You can have fun. You can goof off. He loves he loves when the team hangs out together. He loves watching us walk by him in the lobby and there's 15 guys heading to a team dinner. Like that kind of stuff just fires him up. He understands how hard the game is. You know, he never really presses the panic button. And he just kind of he lets you go be the talented baseball player you are. Uh, and he's he's great. If you ever want to sit down, like I've, during the playoffs last year, we were I was just on the bench watching live BPs, guys kind of staying sharp, and we sit down and for 15 minutes we don't even talk about baseball like we just talk about our families and you know kids and and all that stuff like he's just he's just a good he's a good human being yeah and it was it was nice playing for him again yeah that's good that's great to hear because i've always loved love that voice too. yeah that big <laughs> guy he's like a yeah. grandpa kind of <laughs> yeah, exactly. grumpy like, grandpa or, or the or the old sheriff who's got yeah, a lot of, lot of notches that. in his belt i could see like, that. we ain't gonna mess with this guy he'll walk out to the middle of the street yeah, he's got some good stories he's got some cool stories too I'm only sure. got to hit a walk-off off nolan ryan that was my favorite one. <laughs> oh, really nolan ryan gave up one walk-off homer in his entire career this bruce bochi oh that's fantastic and i asked him about it he goes yeah but nolan doesn't remember it i was like i wouldn't remember it either. <laughs> let's get to our final four here with will smith royals reliever here in the program our final four of course brought to you by the university of kansas health system the official health care provider of the kansas city royals get care from the experts the royals trust make it the right call uh you can uh, learn more at kansashealthsystem.com slash royals uh will uh let's start with this uh, how often do you wear your world series rings Never. I've worn it one time. We, uh, when we got them in Atlanta, we had the Hawks were in the, uh, basketball playoffs and we had one of those like team outings where we had the suite and everybody wore their ring. We took our wives and, uh, that's really the only time I've worn it. Okay. Uh, where do you keep it? Not that we're going to steal. I mean, is it on display or do you have it just tucked away in a Not safe? Not yet. They, I keep them in my gun safe in the okay. garage. Okay. Uh, but every time I go home, I go and look at them, make sure they're still there yeah. and, and admire them a little bit, and then I put them back up. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, they're, they're nice things to, for sure. Toughest hitter 
you've ever faced. Who is it? Um, they're both retired now, but Ben Zobrist and Nick Markakis, I, I could not get them out, especially Ben Zobrist. Like, I felt like everything I threw, he hit for a double. <laughs> and uh, Markakis, I ended up being his teammate in 2020, and I was like, Cakes, like, I could get you 0-2, because it was left on left. Like, I should win that battle. I could get him 0-2, and then he would just hit a seed somewhere. I could just, those two guys I could never get out. I, I love that. It's always amazing how that works. Mm-hmm. Just, whether it's swing plane. I don't know what Your it is. pitch hits his vision just right. What right. It, I, I always love it's always some of the most bizarre things yep. that, that you hear. Biggest influence in your baseball career was who? Um, I mean, my dad was always there. I mean, my dad was my first catch partner every day, and I get so lucky. My dad was never one of those uh, those crazy dads that yelled and screamed and whatnot. You know, he would just watch the game and whatever the coach said. Uh, that's what that was the answer. Uh, so yeah, probably my dad, my my high school coach. I still talk to him. He was he was a huge influence on me. Um. I've had great veterans every stop I've been to that I've learned from. So I've I've had a pretty lucky baseball career of the people I've crossed paths with, and they've, they've helped me along the way. And now you're one of those veterans, and I have no doubt you're helping those guys, and we're certainly lucky to have you here in Kansas City. Well, it's great to have you back. Appreciate Thanks it. so much for spending some time, and Absolutely. look forward to talking to you in KC. Thank you. Sounds good. You're in the program here on Sports Radio 810 WHB. Seren Petro with you as we're live in Surprise Arizona. Thanks to Will Smith, our Royals Lever. A lot of nice guys on this team. A lot of nice guys. I uh, love talking to Will Smith. Great with the uh, World Series rings. Uh, you know, just piling them up now. Uh, can he make it four in four years? We hope so. Be improbable, uh, but we hope so. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see if he can. Um, we are live here in Surprise Arizona. Jack Johnson joins me uh, here in the uh, program as we uh, continue to uh, break down the Royals. Looking forward to talking to Drew Saylor uh, coming up here in a little bit. Um First of all, you know, we'll, let's talk a little bit about Will Smith here for a second. And um, do you do you think anyone on the team is going to get twenty saves? I think it's certainly possible. I don't know if it would be Will Smith. I think it's going to be a little bit of a closer by committee situation. Uh, I think you look at James MacArthur as somebody that could take on about eight to ten saves. Uh, I'm sure that somebody like a John Schreiber could fill in when needed. Twenty saves doesn't seem like a lot, but man, when you don't have a solidified closer, it feels like that's a lot to ask. I, I think a lot of different guys are going to have saves. So for the twenty total mark, I'm going to say no for now, unless he's right off the bat the closer and he's got you know five or six by April. Yeah, I don't. I, I think he, you know, he talked about you know an opportunity to pitch at the back end again, mm-hmm. which to me, I'm thinking he's thinking closer. Yeah, and save, but I think they got a lot of guys, and I think they're going to mix and match. And from what I've been hearing, you know, they keep talking about matchups, matchups, matchups. Um, you know, it's. Uh, I, I just don't see the think that there's going to be uh, one guy that gets all the saves, but. Hey, listen, as a, as a Royals fan, I don't care how they close as long as they get it done. And I think they've got a lot of good arms. Question is, is a lot of good arms better than a couple of great arms? At the very back, to know that, like, you know, HDH wasn't surrounded by a whole bunch of other guys that went on to do a whole bunch. But those three, if you had a lead, you knew it was over. And you knew you'd get the win. And I, I think they're deeper now. Does a deep pen work, or is it better to just have uh, some guys that are rock stars? Uh, let's talk a little bit about one of the guys that came on last year, Nick Lofton. I know you had a chance to talk to him uh, earlier today, Jack. Yeah, Nick Lofton's a guy that you know, I think 
along with a lot of guys out there, can play so many different positions. But where I think he's different than an Adam Frazier or Garrett Hampson, I think he plays a lot of different positions well. You know, it's one thing to be a utility guy where you could play a lot of spots, but you may not shine at one or two. You may just be able to actually field the position. I think Nick Lofton is a guy that can actually play a lot of different spots and excel at a lot of those different spots. And, you know, I had the chance to ask him, you know, despite playing all those positions, what spot feels the most comfortable for him? He's a shortstop at Baylor, but here's what he had to say on that. Yeah, uh, definitely it's uh, something I had to get used to uh, coming from Baylor and being a shortstop primarily, but it's uh, it keeps me on my toes every day and uh, it doesn't keep me good. I don't get complacent because uh, I know every single day is a mystery of where I'm going to be at and uh, it makes it exciting when I look at this uh, lineup and just seeing where I'm going to be at that day. Now, your debut was against Boston, if I'm not mistaken, there, and one of your first hits, I believe it was your first hit, about a couple of feet from leaving the yard there. Uh, walk me through that moment back then when you know, the ball leaves the bat and you're like, my first hit might actually leave yeah. the park here, one of the biggest parks in the American League. Yeah, definitely uh, realized how big it was right away. Uh, but coming from Omaha and AAA where that ball's probably gone out <laughs> at any time of the day, um, yeah, I thought I, I thought I had it. I'm gonna be honest, uh, but uh, just very thankful that I was able to get that first hit out of the way right away. Now, when you play this many positions, you know which one feels it most at home to you. I know you were a shortstop in college, as you said, but is there maybe one that you kind of didn't know would feel so comfortable? Yeah, I'd probably say third base, man. Uh, it's something that uh, just being on the left side of the infield it mm-hmm. just feels comfortable to me. But honestly, just being in the dirt, uh, being anywhere in the dirt, feels really comfortable to me and. Uh, like I said, I'm really, uh, I've really taken on the role of the utility guy, and I'm really excited to be a part of it. You've kind of become this fan favorite so quickly here in Kansas City. I'm sure you've seen, you know, when you were down in Omaha, it's like, get this guy up to Kansas City, man. What's the rush on this? And what is it like for you, you know, to put in all that work to move to the minor leagues? And then you've got people at the big league level, fans at the big league level, going, we need to get Nick Lofton up here now. Yeah, no, it's awesome. Uh, I'm very thankful for the fan base that has supported me through it all, through the ups and downs of, of the grind of the minor league lifestyle. And uh, very thankful to, just for the opportunity to just be a part of a, a special team and a special group of guys that I believe have a really, really big chance of making something special, uh, not just this year, but the years to come. Nick, if there's one thing you've really tried to work on this offseason, what has that been? Uh, honestly, uh, it's kind of been uh, just getting comfortable at first base. I think that was kind of the biggest one. Uh, that was one of the first posi- or newest position that uh, I learned I didn't play it at all growing up. So my first uh, experience at first base was in AAA and three games before I got called up. So uh, I was getting comfortable at first base and then also kind of just refining some things in my swing, uh, trying to make it as uh, complete as possible to the point where I can just make the same move throughout 162 games and not have to really worry about mechanics. So uh, just trying to make sure that I can dial that in and uh, uh, make it something that just flows naturally and, and allows me to put myself in the best possible position to be successful at the plate. Nick, thanks so much for your time, man. I appreciate you. Thank you. If Nick Lofton is going to have a, a big role on this team, 
I think it is important that he learns how to play first base and first base well. When you think about it, around the infield, he said that he likes to be on the dirt. He likes to be in the infield. He could play the outfield. He had to in Omaha. But I think it's very important he learns how to play first base because you go around the other spots here. How many times is he filling in for Michael Garcia? How many times is he filling in for Bobby Wood Jr.? Or uh, Michael Massey, for that matter. They've got Garrett Hampson and Frazier that can play second base. Where he can separate himself is being a first baseman. Vinny Pasquantino is the only true first baseman on the roster. Behind him, it's Renfro who's not a first baseman. It's Salvi who's not a first baseman. If he can kind of become that guy of, hey, when you need a day off, when you need to DH, I can not only play first base, I can play it well and not be a liability like some of those guys actually may be. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a great point. I think... You know, we talked to Vinny Pascatino uh, earlier, and, you know, he made it clear he wants to play first base. He doesn't want to be a DH. Um, even though he does very well as a DH, he wants to be, you know, a, a, a two-way player. He, he wants that. But, you know, if if he can just be a good first baseman or even an average first baseman, uh, but Lofton can be a great one because he's got, you know, shortstop-like skills uh, over there and he can really feel the ball, then if nothing else, he can finish games at first base. Can even be like, okay, Garcia gets most of the day off. He plays third base, and then we're going to sit. We want our best defensive. We're up three. We want our best defensive uh, infield in there for the last inning. Michael, you're coming out. You can play one inning of defense at third, and Nick goes over to first. You can keep doing that to have your best defensive. You know, he can give guys a day off. Until it's like, okay, now let's seal this wind down. So I'm with you. That, and I and I look. I used to say, and I still believe, if the fat kid can hit, play him at first. You know, I, I think there's a lot to it. But like, good defensive uh, skills uh, at first base are, you know, I think the the, the part that's maybe I'll, I'll just say it, ignorant with that statement. I think there's a lot of truth that if a guy, you know, we need to stress. Maybe maybe I should amend it too. If the fat kid can really hit. Play him at first because you can live with it. But if if the kid playing first can really pick it, then you get better everywhere else defensively because they'll just send it, mm-hmm. right? And that's what I saw about Eric Cosmer. I know his range was always a question, but what I liked about Eric Cosmer defensively was he empowered everybody else on the infield that if you could get to it, just send it over there. And he knew when to come off the bag. He knew when, how to cut across the base runner, when he could and when he couldn't, to go back and be like, okay, I can't stretch for this and get it, and i got to go back. I'm going to take a step back across the base pass before the runner gets here. I'm coming off. I'm abandoning ship. I read the ball immediately. I'm going to catch it. It's not going to the backstop. We gave up a single. And if it was a short hop, he could stretch and go get it. He made everybody else, Alcides Escobar, he made everybody else better because if they could get to it, they could give it a try over there. And if they weren't going to get it, he'd step forward, come up, field it. And so if Lofton could be that guy, and you can have good, solid first baseman most of the time that can really rake, and then let's close this game out, that's the ideal first base scenario. So I wouldn't even really give it a whole lot of thought to the first base part of the equation until, until you brought that up, but I think that is an important thing that, you know, if he does it, it really does round out his resume as a, you know, productive utility player. It's so important to have those guys that can fill in late and give you a little bit of an advantage in those situations. It also gives you some flexibility of, you know Nick Lofton can play anywhere, and if you have to pinch hit for somebody or pinch run for somebody, it's good to have Adam Frazier. It's good to have Garrett Hampson. Those are guys that can move around. Hampson can play center field. He also can play shortstop and second base and third base. 
But I do think for Nick Lofton that you know he can almost separate himself from those guys. He's also got more power. I mean, we always forget about Nick Lofton. He's a first-round pick. This is not some fringe minor league guy that had good AAA numbers and, oh, he gets his chance now. This is a guy that could be an everyday player. We don't know it for a fact yet. He's only had, I think, 20 games in his career at the big league level. There's still a lot to learn. But I did think that was interesting because if there's one spot he didn't get a lot of time at throughout the minor leagues, it was first base. He said that two days before he was called up, they were like, go play first base. They're going to need a first baseman up in Kansas City. And that's what happened once Vinny got hurt. They were just picking names out of a hat who could play first base. And and that's where I really think he can be that guy. Nick Prado, I think, would be the first option to call somebody up because he is a first baseman. But if Nick Prado's not hitting, and Nick Lofton is, hey, there you go. I can play first base, and I can move around even more than he can. Well, let's play that game. Uh, let's let's play the game on how well Nick Lofton's going to hit. I mean, what do you think of a guy that, you know, in his, um, you know, um, repertoire has never had an OPS? Let's see, for a year, he's never had an OPS. Well, how many games is that? Just a handful of games there in 23. Last year, he had an OPS of 788. At Omaha. So, real quick, because we I know we need to break for Drew Saylor. Uh, how many do you think he? What, what, what do you? What do you think the upside is on Nick Lofton? I think he can be a guy that you know, resembles a little bit of a Whit Merrifield, but a Whit Merrifield with more power. I remember when the Royals acquired Samad Taylor from Toronto. There was some mild comparison of, oh, he can play everywhere. He's got a little bit of pop. I, I never believed that too much. I always thought Nick Lofton could be that guy, not just because he was a utility guy. I thought his bat would translate very, very well. I liked his bat in college. I thought the power would come around more uh, when he got to the minor league level, and that did show. Uh, for me, as with any young player here in Kansas City, it's about the consistency. He was fortunate enough early on in his big league career, he took off. You know, He was hitting every single game, whether it was blooping in a single, it was an infield hit, or he was hitting the ball hard. He just had luck on his side, but it's a 20-game sample yeah. size. If you stretch that out into 60, 70, maybe 80 games as a utility guy, you see where it goes from there. All right. Good jo- uh, good work. Excuse me, Jack. Uh, appreciate it. Let's take a break. We got Drew Saylor headed our way. So we're going to talk about the Royals hitting in the minor leagues. It's next here on the program. All right, you're in the program here on Sports Radio 810 WHP. We're going to talk to, uh, we believe, we'll see. We'll see if it happens. We've got a tight window here. We've got a lot coming your way uh, here today, coming up a little bit later on. Uh, next hour, our Need to Know uh, coming your way. Also, uh, we'll be talking to Gary Parrish, our college basketball insider. We'll get into Rick Patino and uh, his whining about his St. John Redmond. Uh, and then, of course, uh, wrap things up uh, with the uh, kicker. Uh, we should, uh, should be talking to uh, Drew here in just a minute. Uh, in fact, uh, around the corner he comes. So we will talk Down some the uh, Royals baseball. Yeah, exactly. Your timing is impeccable, sir. Uh, listen, I do what I can. Yeah, Adam, I, I make it happen. The lottery anytime now. You know, I, 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 I have, we have a plan. We put it together. We make it work uh, here in the uh, program. Uh, we are live in Surprise, Arizona, uh, at uh, Royal Spring Training, and uh, we welcome to the. Uh, to the program, Drew Saylor. Drew, how are you? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Sorry for being a little late. We were no, you're finishing fu- up up top. You're actually, you're my board ops hero, my <laughs> producer's hero, because we got all our breaks in, Yeah. so now he's thrilled. Perfect. Because usually, like, we're running late, we're like, okay, we're not going to break, and then he's freaking at us. So <laughs> you're the you're his king, your favorite guy right now. How you are you, man? How's spring training going? for me, man. Thank you. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> made, everything's been like a, a hot mess up until now, Yeah. and now he's happy. So Perfect. How's sir. everything going for you? 
Uh, it's been great. I mean, obviously being out here in Arizona, being in you know Phoenix, I mean, just the energy that's around here. I mean, I've been fortunate enough in my career to be able to have spring training in Arizona, but then also experience it in Florida. And you know, no slight uh, to the people in Florida, but it's, it's just a different energy when you're out here, just feeling everybody around. You know, obviously, you know, with all the moves we made this past off season, you know, being a chance uh, to be able to see some of our young players uh, for the whole month of January. We had a big January camp here for three weeks. Right. Uh, just a lot of just energy, optimism, you know, positivity. It's just been a lot of fun being, you know, back here in surprise and being around everybody. Um, let, 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 what What is, like, how do you handle all these minor leagues? First of all, it's not as many as it used to be. Yeah. But, like, when you're in charge of all of that, how did, what, what's a, a, maybe a week or a month, how, how would you define your job as to what all you're doing? Are you centrally located? People come to you and the information comes to you and then you send it out or are you constantly on the go? No, constantly on the go. Uh, you know, my role as the director of hitting, you know, I get a chance to be able to see everything from the big leagues all the way down to the Dominican Summer League and all points in between. Um, I have two people underneath me, Nick Jackson and Abraham Nunez, that aid with all the development strategies that we put together in the minor leagues. And I think it would, would probably be a better way to do it is like we have spring training, we have, you know, the first half, second half of the, the minor league championship season, then we have instructional league, and then we have our winter uh, programming that we have, you know, for the rest of those months. Uh, and I think that each one of those uh, sections, it just, it requires uh, different communication. It requires, um, you know, collaboration across a bunch of different departments. And it's just, it's a different, it's a different environment because, you know, for the spring training part of this process, everybody's here. So if we run into any issues or we have to have any conversations or meetings, like we can, you know, send a text message out and we can get everybody together. Uh, then once the season starts, the first half is like kind of getting everybody acclimated to baseball, uh, getting them, you know, acclimated to the new facilities that they're a part of. And then after that, just we're all remote workers and we just travel around wherever we need to travel around. Uh, second half of the season, you know, we have the draft that comes in. Uh, we get those guys on boarded. Um, and then we're obviously preparing for the fall, the winter aspect of it. So it's it's like we're all together, then we're remote employees for two, you know, sections. Right. And then we all come back together in instructional league, and then it's the same kind of process a little bit that we have during spring training. We already have an eye for the future when we get into that area. How do you keep straight all these different swings? <laughs> well, it's it's a, I said, it's a lot of different departments that aid in that process. I I think it starts with, you know, obviously. The so are you more a manager and the guys under you are more the hands-on? Or do you get to get in the cage with the guy and you do tea work and, yeah, you yeah. know, are you, are you, you know, you, you write down on ground zero as well? Yeah, I, I would say it's more, you know, managing of our whole entire, you know, department in terms of making sure that we have the right strategies being applied. We're, we're communicating with the right people. Um, I do get the, you know, fortunate opportunity in spring training and instructionally that I can get in the cage. Right. Throw BP, you know, be uniform, all that other stuff. Um, but no, I mean, the overarching aspect of the job is just making sure guys are, you know, on track, moving where they need to move, and then helping us, you know, win baseball games in Kansas City. I, I know, you know, you haven't been in this position for 20, 30 years or something, but less teams, how much harder does that make? Like if a guy's, you said, on track and progressing, what if he's not? But mm-hmm. somebody's coming up behind him like, listen, we got to have that spot. To me, where it seems like all your jobs got harder is you don't have spots to kind of like... Like, let's let's just rest with this guy over here. Mm-hmm. Let's just leave him there, and we can, you know, maneuver this player over to this team and kind of get things going. Now, less teams, and and with less guys, more of them have to advance. But you have less places to advance them. So you know, you think of a plinko board. How's it all gonna, you know, yeah. make its way down ultimately to the big league level? How difficult is it? 
with is it or is it much more difficult with guys blocking other guys now? Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say it's, it's blocking other guys because obviously if a guy performs and there's an opportunity and they are in their way out of the league, you know we're going to you know find ways to be able to move guys into those spots. Uh, really, what it is and what we've seen so far is just with the consolidation of the minor league system is that the the level of competition and the the higher end player and prospect that's moving down from like the double A area. It's even going into high A, low A, and even in here in rookie ball in Arizona, where you know maybe in 2018, 19, you know you'd have guys that'd be 93, 94 miles an hour, but you'd have a couple guys be like you know 90, 91. Those guys don't exist anymore. What you're seeing now is very top end velocities, primo velocities. Guys that are leaning on their off speed offerings a lot more frequently. Pitch uh, rates and usages start to change, and it even happens here. Um, in in the ACL, and so really, what it is is that from an offensive standpoint, our guys are being challenged at higher levels at younger ages of their stage of development. So we see more is the volatility in terms of the performance of the player that tends to be more evident now than it did in previous iterations because we don't have that you know college you know senior sign that's a command over control and stuff. Those guys are, are not even in the question anymore, and. In the game of baseball because there is limited spots. Um, the competition's gotten tougher to get into professional baseball. Um, and again, it's just, it, it's making it more difficult, I think, for guys to get in. But what you're seeing is is that the the demand of the natural talent, that has started to ever increase because of just the way that the slots are. You have to go after guys that have that natural talent a little bit more than what it used to be. Does that mean so you're going for more tools players? Yeah, I mean, you know, tools play. I mean, that's something that, you know, we have a you know a couple of you know, departments international and, and, and uh, domestic amateur scouting. That's all those guys are doing is trying to find guys that have great raw ability, and then you know they entrust us in player development to be able to um, you know to be able to develop the vision of what the scouting department and those scouts have of those players. So um, it's it's a fun part of the job. It's obviously uh, you know very nuanced and, and very challenging, but it's also exhilarating in the same process. We're talking to Drew Saylor, director of hitting performance. Yes, uh, I, lo- I love that. That's a, that's, a, that's a great title. We were talking about the titles uh, earlier, and, the, and the, the titles have gotten great now. It used to be minor league coordinator, mm-hmm. hitting, you know, or or hitting yeah. coordinator. Like now, director of hitting performance. Um, I, you know, we hear the analytics community talk about hitting the ball in the air, how important it is to hit the ball in the air. Uh, we also hear about exit velocity. It's very important to have a great exit velocity. Uh, what what about when they don't? connect great exit velocity but not hitting it in the air we we hear the stories of jd martinez reworking his swing totally turning his career around how you know you hear that that can be done with one you're like well can we do it with all how hard is it to get a guy who you show that exit velocity so he's got pop in the bat but is just hitting it on the ground into outs all the time how hard is it to get those balls in the air uh, it, it's it's challenging in some regards because you know there there is a, a physical component like what affordances does, does this player's body give him like does he have the capability and the capacity to be able to do that there's a strength component of it too like is this person hitting the ball on the ground but has good exit velocities does he not have you know the overall strength to be able to consistently do that is there volatility with regard to what the launch actually is um, there's a component of what the player is trying to actually execute when it's in the game you know, I think sometimes you know we tend 
tend to, you know, do one size fits all. Like, is the guy hitting the ball on the ground because, you know, he's trying to, you know, get to the pull side or he's, you know, too off gap focused and that puts his, the bat in a tough spot so it has to work around balls more versus staying through it. So it, it's, it's really nuanced. I think if you look at it like a hierarchical tree, like every decision that you make, there's right. three other ones that are there. So you can start in one spot and then get to another. But um, one of the things that we try to do here is be really collaborative across all the different departments and try to get into you know, not only just what the body affords this player, but also you know, like what's the, the psychology makeup of the player, like what's he trying to accomplish. And there also is another part, too, that the, the other guy that's 60 feet, 6 inches, 12 inches off the mound, that guy also has a pretty big say in terms of what our guys are doing as well. So it, it gets really nuanced pretty fast, but we try to be able to take like that holistic viewpoint of the player, and then from there we try to see what the inputs are, and then we try to change those inputs to see if we can get the ball more on a line consistently. This this franchise, you know, for a long time, uh, 36 home runs was the record, right? Now it's a big ballpark, right? That's what we always say. Oh, it's a big ballpark. It's, it's, it's tough to get the ball out of there. Um, and I'm looking here for the uh, career uh, or the uh, single season, top 50 career hitting. I have all these things bookmarked. You think I'd find it faster. <laughs> um, but when you go to home runs, most of the guys that are on that Royals list of, of single season home runs of the 30s didn't come up in the Royal system. You know, they're, they're Gary Gaetti, they're Chili Davis, they're Steve Balboni, they're Jorge Soler. They're, you know, there's only a couple of them. Mike Muskakis with 38, George Brett with 30, uh, Salvador Perez with his great season, 48. And, and I wonder, is that an organizational thing that you go in and you start with the long question I'm going to ask you is, do you coach to the ballpark as soon as you get guys? And does that somehow, can that handcuff guys from reaching their full power? Because in everyone's mind is, it's tough to get a ball out of Kaufman. We need line drive hitters. We need doubles over home runs. Uh, is is the ballpark ever present in your mind? Or does that have nothing to do with it until they have to deal with that when they get there? You're just trying to maximize what they are. Well, I, I think it's it's kind of both sides. Like We have to be you know, understanding that our ballpark is big it plays big uh, we want to be an organization that you know we're hitting a lot of extra base hits we're stretching doubles and triples those types of things um, that, that is something that is front of mind but regardless of what ballpark you play in a line drive plays and that's something right. that we always talk about with our guys you know we're not trying to solve for power we're not trying to you know, hit every single baseball at you know 25 degree you know launch like we're saying hey like a hard line drive plays whether it's in Kauffman Stadium Progressive Field in Cleveland or you're in Yellowstone like every single ballpark a line drive plays and that's what we're trying to do because you know again if you hit the ball on the ground like we know in the big leagues you're out like that's just the way that it is i think the woba is like less than a hundred i think on ground balls um so we try very hard to be able to make sure our guys are hitting the ball on a line but we just want to be able to optimize that contact and again kind of what i alluded to before right that it becomes super nuanced there's a lot of other inputs that go into that so um for us it's more you know we want to take you know the vision that our scouting department has for our players we want to try to get them and maximize their talent as best we can, their skills as best we can. And then from there, we want to be able to make them championship ball players. We want them to be winning baseball players. We want them to be able to understand how to be able to play the game, you know, be able to, you know, situational hit, be able to, you know, know what's needed of them to be able to win baseball games. And so I think that's something that has been, um, you know, a very big point of emphasis, especially after, um, you know, last season we went into our org meetings and we really did a good job being able to, you know, ask good questions of one another, you know, figure out what we're doing well, figure out areas that we need to be 
able to improve. Um, and really, like I said, part of the optimism I think that everybody has right now is because we've worked really hard throughout this offseason to have those conversations, but also to be able to make the necessary adaptations to be able to help our guys perform, uh, but also to, to get them a little bit faster in terms of their development to get to cough and help us win baseball games. Two guys in particular, first-round picks in the last couple of years. Gavin Cross, I know he had a uh, a season that he, he took a step back. I just read recently that he had was a tick virus, like a you get what do they call valley fever where you get mm-hmm. bit by a tick. Uh, is that as simple as that, that his numbers regressed because he was ill and wasn't feeling good, or was there something else that happened that – because he looked like he was on the fast track that the, the first year. What what happened with Cross? Yeah, I think you know he had a, a slow start last year, um, and I think that you know he put in a massive amount of work to be able to get himself back into a position to be able to hit. Um, I think there is a part of it too when you end up getting sick. I think that that does end up playing you know a toll with you as well. But uh, really looking at you know the off season that Gavin had, and even just the work that he's been putting in here in Arizona, uh, like the spot that he's in, you know, driving baseballs. Yesterday, you know, we had you know machine batting practice, a righty that had a little bit of sink to it. He's like trimming trees over on field five, right. uh, you know, whizzing balls out of the ballpark there. Uh, but uh, really, just excited, um, just about where Gavin is, and, and and every player's you know path to the big leagues. It's different. I think it's easy to be able to see guys that you know just rocket through the system, and then they you know they struggle when they get to the big leagues and they trip up. You know, there's other guys that they got to go to you know levels and repeat a couple levels uh, to be able to find kind of their footing there. And I think that you know it, it's tough because you know development's not linear. And and I think we need to be able just to you know have those considerations that guys are learning, they're growing. Um, but again, I, I think that Gavin's no different with that as well. But like I said, really excited about what his offseason looked like, and excited to see what he does uh, here in 2024. And I remember Mike Mustakas. I remember he was up up near the top of the prospect charts, and then he was gone. He wasn't even on it because he had a rough year. Then all of a sudden, here he comes up and you know part of a world championship, and and like I said, hit held for about five minutes the the Royals single season uh, home run record. Uh, how about Blake Mitchell? We, we, you know, you had to hear yeah, prep catcher. Mm-hmm. Like, what are you doing? Taking a prep catcher that high? You got to really, really knowing all the trials and tribulations that that high school catchers have had when drafted. You know, what I said was, if they're taking him, they really, really like him. Oh yeah. Okay. And so he only got a handful of at bats. He can certainly get on base. That you know, I can say that he, he seemed to know what a strike was. Uh, what do you think of uh, the potential of Blake Mitchell? No, I mean, I I think that you know, uh, you you said it best there. I think that you look at the package that Blake you know brings to the table, uh, physically you know has impact bat written all over him. Um, really advanced approach. I think that um, you know when he got down here to Arizona, I think that, that it even surprised you know some of us in terms of how good his eye was and knowing what a ball is and knowing what a strike is. And uh, again, I think you look at the physicality of him. I mean, you know, he's got you know tree trunk quads. He's really well put together. Strong guy. It looks you know. Know, looks the part behind the plate. Um, you know, you see, you know, how he, you know, operates, you know, as a person, you know, psychologically, uh, very, very mature. And, and I think that all those things, um, you know, really just it's an exciting package when you look at Blake. And um, he's been as good as advertised for me. You know, even seeing as he's come out here to Arizona, he got out here, you know, a few weeks ago just to get acclimated to the environment, get acclimated to just all of this right. in spring training with his first spring training. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, just a lot of really exciting 
exciting tools that he has in there. Uh, and I think that there's uh, a leader. I think there's a lot of leadership qualities in him. He's a very hard worker, puts his nose to the grindstone, you know, likes to be, uh, you know, on winning baseball teams, wants to be a gamer. Um, and I think that all those things are just really exciting. And the other part, too, that was great is just his awareness. Like, he, he knows the things that he needs to be able to improve, and, and he's working tirelessly to be able to do that. So, you know, I said, I, I don't know if there's enough uh, adjectives out there for me to be able to describe, like, how much, uh, you know, we value Blake, uh, but also just me personally. I think that Blake is just an A-plus tremendous human being, uh, raised right, um, you know, type of kid that, you know, hopefully, you know, my daughter, you know, whenever, you know, when I allow her to date somebody at age 40, <laughs> uh, I, I hope that she brings home someone that, that has, that's as of high character as Blake. All right, let's get to our final forward, Drew Saylor. He's the director of uh, hitting performance for the Kansas City Royals. Our final four is brought to you by the University of Kansas Health System, the official healthcare provider of your Kansas City Royals. Get care from the experts. The Royals Trust, to make the right call, learn more at kansashealthsystem.com. Four quick ones, just a couple yep. of words. All right, we'll start with this. Uh, what do you give the spring training hats on a scale of 1 to 10? Oh, 10. I love yeah, these hats. I, I think they're fantastic. Uh, Arizona or Florida? What's better for you? Oh, Ari- Arizona. For sure. You like Arizona? Okay. Hot spot in Surprise, Arizona is what? What's the go-to oh. hangout spot? Uh, it'd be Bonfire Grill. And I and I love their Arizona gold sauce. Okay. So there you go. That, that's, that's my secret spot. And it's only about like a mile and change uh, right up on Bail. On Bail okay. Road. Okay. Uh, who has, last question, who has the most power of any of the hitters in the, in the organization? Down low in the minors. Ooh, um, just raw power. Uh, Takes more than that to be good, but yeah, yeah. I, I think that probably uh, it'd be a tie between Blake and uh, Gavin Cross right now. I think. Okay, that's pretty good. Hey, Drew, thanks so much for giving us some time. Enjoy Arizona. We'll talk to you uh, when you come through Kansas City. <laughs> Sounds great. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. All right, we'll take a break. More from Surprise next here in the program. All right, Justin Verlander is forty-one today, second overall pick in the two thousand four amateur draft. Who was the number one overall pick that year? Brought to you by Joe's Kansas City Barbecue.